Welcome to Know Your Bible, a program presented by the Churches of Christ and devoted to helping you understand God's Word. The Bible is a book inspired by God that contains answers to your questions. The Bible reveals Jesus and explains His sacrifice, contains God's plan for the family, and timeless principles of parenting. Also has the truth about life and death. The Bible contains great financial advice and also answers questions of morality. Join us as we look for answers to your questions and help you know your Bible. Welcome back to Know Your Bible. Glad you're here today. Hope you're ready to study the Bible with us. Hope you're ready to know your Bible a little bit better uh, by studying your questions. We're going to know your Bible a little bit better, too. So we uh, help each other out here, and we get so many good questions every week. The way we get those questions, if you're a first-time viewer, is there's a phone number and a website at the bottom of the screen. You can use those anytime. Tell us what you'd like us to talk about. Leave us a message if we're not there live uh, anytime, day or night, and we'll get your question, put it in the stack, and get to it just as quickly as we can. Uh, if you reply by email or give us your email address, we'll get you a written answer uh, pretty quickly. Uh, but other than that, we'll get to it on the program as soon as we can. Uh, Toby Levering's here. Hi, Toby. Hi, Steve. Glad you're ready to go. I'm uh, studied up on a few extra good questions here, and we're going to try to answer as many as we can. But uh, we start with one for our viewers, and today you get a true or false question. Uh, all Christians are priests. Is that uh, statement true or false? And we'll give you the answer and a scripture at the end of the program. Looks like I drew the first one today, so let's see if we can figure out what Psalms 18.1 means, is what our viewer called in. Uh, Psalm 18.1 is actually a very simple verse, so I think what our viewer was probably asking is what's the first part of Psalm 18 means. And before we look at it, let's uh, explain the difference between the introduction to a psalm and verses 1, 2, 3, 4, and on. Uh, a lot of the psalms, not all of them, but a lot of them have a little introductory paragraph or sentence that explains what the psalm is about or when it was written or who wrote it. So I imagine that's what our viewer is talking about. Let's just look at Psalm 18 and see how it starts. And it has this instruction. It's for the director of music. Uh, that's because psalms were often sung. So this is explaining to the director of music how this one ought to be sung. It says, this is of David, the servant of the Lord. Uh, he sang to the Lord the words of this song. When the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul, he said, and then the song starts, or the psalm. So verse 1 is simple. I love you, Lord, my strength. It just means that the Lord is his strength. And then he goes on and says, the Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. And he praises God in lots of other ways. But the part I imagine our viewers asking about is that introductory, that little foreword, if you will, that says, okay, this is a song that David wrote after the Lord had delivered him from the hands of Saul and of all his enemies, and here's the song of praise that he sung. So the director of music uh, or somebody today reading that psalm 
uh, will know a lot more about how to read it and what kind of emotion to put in it and what it means, uh, what it was written for. So those are the little forewords, the introductions to a lot of the Psalms. And uh, that's what chapter or Psalm 18 is. It gives us some instructions on how to read it. Okay, the next question is a question about the Ten Commandments, which is a fairly uh, regular question we get on this program. And it says, why do churches not teach the Ten Commandments like the Bible tells us? Okay, well, the Ten Commandments is part of the Bible. It's part of the Old Testament. It's part of the what we call the Old Covenant. It was written as a, a covenant as an agreement, a legally binding agreement between two parties. And this was between God and the descendants of Abraham. And they, the part of this uh, agreement was a, a list of rules, expectations, standards that God had for all matters of life. And Exodus 20 uh, concern, or Exodus chapter 20, where the Ten Commandments are listed, concerns uh, how uh, our relationship with between us and God and then between us and our fellow man. Now, the Ten Commandments was, was, was not the, the exhaustive list of the old law. There were over 611 commands in the old law. But the Ten Commandments are the ones that everyone remembers, that are well known, uh, and uh, people hearken back to. In fact, sometimes you'll hear people say that. Well, you know, I just think if we just live by the Ten Commandments, we'll do all right. Well, I tend to agree with you that if you lived your life according to the Ten Commandments, uh, everything would be good. <laughs> Here's the caveat. Uh, have you? I haven't. Has anyone? Here's the problem. You see, the old law, what it said was, here's God's standard for righteousness and holiness, and if you fail to meet that standard, well, there's only, there's only one suitable punishment. That's death. Not physical death, spiritual death, separation from God. So the problem is not... <laughs> The, the, the Ten Commands, those are good commands. I mean, I do believe our world would be a lot better if these people practice those. Spiritually speaking, however, no one has. There's only one person who is able to perfectly keep the law, perfectly keep and meet every legal demand, and that was Christ Jesus. Now, <clears throat> if you're in Christ and, and you say, I'm in Christ, but I want to keep, keep the old law, well, uh, I suppose there's no harm in doing that, but most people are pretty selective about which parts of the old law they want to keep. For example, we get a lot of questions about the Ten Commandments from a group that really likes one particular command about the Sabbath. All right, I mean, if you want to keep the Sabbath, that's fine, but, but rolled into that are a whole lot of other parts of the old law that you should be keeping. And so people kind of get selective about which ones they want. They, they say, well, you've, we've left that one out. Okay. The difference here is understanding the difference between the Old Covenant, uh, the, uh, the agreement between God and Israel, and the New Covenant in Christ. See, because no one could keep that Old Covenant. Christ fulfilled it. And so he becomes our righteousness. And in him, we have a new covenant, a better, uh, more lasting covenant, and... It doesn't condemn those who are unable to keep it perfectly because Christ kept it perfectly. Now, just so you know, all of the commands in the old are actually repeated in the new, save one, and that is to remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. 
This was quite a big deal in the early church. There were lots of disagreements about Jews who come out of Judaism and all these Gentiles, and, and the Jews religiously observed the, the Sabbath, and the Gentiles didn't. And can you imagine a church with a group of people like that? And so uh, when we look at scriptures on the Sabbath, the, the general consensus is don't judge people by whether they keep it or don't. This is not a matter of salvation. So uh, let's look at Romans chapter 7, verses 5 and 6. Paul writes, while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now, but now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive. This is the part I ask you about who's kept all the Ten Commandments. Nobody. So that we serve in the new way of the spirit and not in the old way of the written code. See, Paul's quite clear Okay. In Christ, and this is the only way this works, in Christ, our righteousness, we can have righteousness even though we are not righteous because of Christ and his sacrifice and him keeping the law perfectly. He meets the legal demands. And so all of the requirements of the old were nailed to the cross. So uh, that's why we don't, uh, I, I think churches teach the Ten Commandments, but we're not bound by them. It's a different covenant. And because the law is not our righteousness, Christ is now our righteousness under the new covenant. I hope that helps you. <clears throat> All right, a direct question here from a viewer in a new church. She says, I've been baptized, uh, but the church I'm attending says I have to be rebaptized to be a member. Are they right? Well, let me give you a very pragmatic answer, and then I'll try to give you a biblical answer. There are two different answers. Uh, pragmatically, yes, they are right. Uh, it's their church, if you want to say it that way. Uh, they named it. They wrote the rules. And I don't know what church it is or what denomination or anything, but I'm assuming it's a denominational church of some sort. Uh, they made the rules up. And if they say that's what you need to do to be a member, then that's what you need to do to be a member. Uh, if you go to a civic club, the Rotary Club or the Lions Club or whatever, and say, I want to be a member, uh, you got to follow their rules. Well, that's my pragmatic answer to your question is, are they right? Now, the biblical answer uh, is baptism for membership in a specific church or congregation. No, the Bible doesn't teach it that way. Uh, the Bible teaches a different concept of baptism. Uh, let's look at Romans chapter 6 and kind of get the big picture of what Paul thinks about baptism. He's writing to the Roman church. He says, don't you know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Jesus Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. All right, here's what Paul says. is baptism puts us into Christ. It allows us to come up out of baptism and walk in a new life. Uh, that's the born-again thing that people talk about. Uh, in Acts 2.47, it talks about all the people that were baptized at Pentecost, and it says that God added them to the church when they were saved. Okay, so that's the biblical concept, is in Christ, 
are his people, the called out of the world is what church means, and they are in the church. The church universal is a good way to picture it. So baptism puts you into that. Now, if you want to be a member of some small group of Christians, a certain congregation, uh, they may have specific membership rules of some sort. But uh, you're in Christ, you're in the church, you don't need to be baptized again uh, for any biblical reason. So that's the, the biblical answer. Now, let me add one more caveat here. Uh, when you go to any church, uh, if you come to the church that Toby and I attend, Northside Church of Christ in Wichita, Kansas, and say you want to be a member, we will ask you some questions. Uh, we will want to know about why you think you're a Christian. Uh, what's your experience been? What's your, uh, what was your conversion like? What's your religious background? Uh, we want to know if you are in Christ. Uh, so a, a church has got the right to ask those kind of questions. Uh, but biblically, if you tell us that, yes, I was baptized, I was immersed for the remission of my sins, uh, like the Bible tells me to, and I was old enough to understand that, and I believe that I'm in Christ, that's fine with us. You don't have to be baptized again to be a member at Northside. Uh, now, if you tell us, that never happened, you just uh, were sprinkled when you were a baby, or you, you feel like you're a Christian, uh, we'll explain the biblical position that baptism is what puts you in the church uh, and ask you if you want to do that to be a member at Northside. But, uh, so that's the two answers. Uh, a church can make their own rules legally and all of that. Uh, biblically, the Bible explains what baptism is for. It puts you in the church universal, not into a de specific denomination or congregation. Okay, I hope that is clearer than it sounds like it is to me a little bit. <laughs> All right, let me invite you to visit, uh, study the Bible with us in a special way. Uh, we enjoy answering questions, but there's a whole lot more questions than we'll ever get to. So uh, our theory is that if all of our thousands of viewers are all studying their Bible at the same time, they're going to learn a whole lot more about the Bible than we can ever teach. So uh, we know a lot of people do that already. We know we've got some viewers that don't regularly study the Bible. So here's a good way to do it. We've got some tools, and we'll share them with you. You uh, call in and request this. We'll send you a booklet on the Old Testament. And then if, when you finish that, we'll send you another booklet on the New Testament. And after those two, you'll understand a whole lot more about your Bible. And then you've got six more lessons. Then you've got more advanced courses you can go into and study the life of Christ and the book of Acts and all sorts of interesting Bible studies. And if you'd rather not wait for the mail and study on paper, uh, you can do it digitally. So just log on to oneway.worldbibleschool.org and that'll get you an online Bible study course that's a great way to learn about the Bible. Happy to help you with any of those options. Just uh, log on or give a call to that 800 number there and we'll get you started with whatever course you're interested in. You can know your Bible a little bit better. All right, Toby, what's your turn here? A uh, person wants to know about prayer. When we pray, should it be to God, Jesus, 
or the Holy Spirit? Well, my answer is kind of all three. Um, I understand what you're asking, and as at the outset, I'll say there's not a precise, mechanical, rote, word-for-word way to pray. Jesus gives us a model prayer in Matthew chapter 6 when his uh, uh, disciples ask him, teach us to pray. And he he directed that prayer when he said, this is how you should pray. He said, our Father. So we know that we pray to the Father. Uh, we, th- we, p- we pray in Christ through the, the name, the authority, the power of Jesus, uh, because he's the only way to the Father, according to John 14, 6. And the really cool thing is when you're in Christ, not only when you're, when you're baptized and you, you are in Christ, one of the great gifts that you receive is not only the forgiveness of your sins, but also, according to Acts 2.38, the gift of the Holy Spirit. And according to Romans chapter 8, the Holy Spirit intercedes for us in prayer. Now, <laughs> how that exactly works, I don't know. Uh, but we know that it's true because it's in God's Word. So, I believe God, uh, we're praying, offering our prayers to God through Jesus and with the help and the aid of the Holy Spirit. Uh, that's not magical or mystical or not any sort of uh, weird thing. You just know when you're praying, uh, you are engaging in a spiritual conversation. And it's hard for us to understand because we're flesh, we're physical creatures, and we don't fully understand how all that works. But let's look at some scriptures. Uh, Matthew, I'm sorry, John chapter 10, verse 30, Jesus said, I and the Father are one. Romans chapter 8, verse 26, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And Ephesians chapter 2, verse 18, For through Jesus, we both, actually says for through Him, but He's referring to Jesus, we have both access in one Spirit to the Father. So, uh, when we pray, all three personalities of the Godhead are present, we're, and uh, that's how it works. That's how Jesus prayed. Uh, and so when you're praying, offer it to the Father in the name of Jesus and know that you're being helped with the Holy Spirit. Hope that helps. All right. Question about women preaching. A viewer says, concerning women preaching, Jesus said there's neither male nor female. We're all one. All right, we do get questions occasionally about can women be preachers and all that, and we answer it with a biblical answer. Paul said, no, in the church, the role of the preacher, the the public speaker in the assembly, uh, and the role of elders and deacons, uh, those are filled by males. That's biblical teaching. But this viewer says, aha, here's a verse that uh, cancels that. And Galatians 3.28 does say this, There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female. For you're all one in Christ Jesus. Okay. Uh, The problem is what our viewer is doing is saying, Okay, I've heard those verses that you gave me about Paul saying women shouldn't be preachers and all that. But here's a verse that cancels all that. That's not the way the Bible works. Uh, one verse in the Bible doesn't cancel another clear verse. Uh, what we have to do is rationalize them, understand them, uh, make sure that we understand how they fit together, because they fit together. 
Uh, one doesn't cancel another one. Uh, we just got to understand it properly. So if we look at Galatians 3.28 and realize it doesn't cancel any other clear Bible verses, uh, what's he saying? Well, pretty clear you look at the context. He's talking about people's status in Christ, people's status as Christians. And he says nobody's more saved than anybody else. Uh, in Christ, everybody's saved the same, whether you're Jew or Gentile or slave or free or male or female. Uh, you're all one in Christ Jesus. Okay? Now, that doesn't mean there's no differences physically. Uh, that doesn't mean there's no difference in roles in the church. Doesn't mean there's no difference in society. Those still exist. But in Christ, everybody's saved the same. So that's all Galatians 3.28 is saying. Uh, for instance, it says no slave nor free. Today we'd say no employer-employee relationship. Uh, where you go to church, maybe there's a boss and an employee that are both members there. Well, when they leave church, uh, one's still a boss and one's still the employee, but in Christ, they're equal. They're, they're both exactly the same as Christians. That's what Paul's saying. Uh, male and female, there's differences, physical differences. There's different roles in marriage. There's different roles in the church. But as far as salvation, all the same. So Galatians 3.28 doesn't cancel any other verses out. It just explains our status in Christ, we're all just as much saved as every other kind of person in the world. We visit, I invite you to visit a church of Christ near you. Uh, this program's prepared and presented and produced by the churches of Christ and supported by churches of Christ. So we mention a few each week today. Let's mention the home church of Know Your Bible. We do that every few weeks just to uh, let you know where this is coming from. Uh, the Northside Church of Christ in Wichita, Kansas is the home church of Know Your Bible. Uh, Toby and I both attend there, and we've got a lot of great folks there that uh, have supported this program for years and years. And uh, we get a lot of visitors, folks that to watch this program and want to know uh, what Northside is about, uh, drop in and see us sometime. Uh, we've got some great programs there, great ministries for uh, youth group and all kinds of folks celebrate recovery on Thursday night. It is a great program. So Northside's a good bunch of folks, and we invite you to come see us. But whatever market you're in, there's probably a Church of Christ close to you. If you're looking for a home church or a group of people that will help you study the Bible, uh, look up a Church of Christ in your neighborhood. All right, Toby, what's what? A uh, family question about Jesus. Did Mary have other children besides Jesus? Uh, yes, Mary had other children besides Jesus, at least seven. Uh, we can look at the scriptures from Matthew and Mark. Uh, we'll look at those. Matthew chapter 13, verse 55 says, Is this not the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? Are not his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? And Mark chapter 6, verse 3. Uh, so there, we, we from Matthew 13, we see that they at least had five. Mark chapter 6, verse 3 says, Is this not the carpenter's son, a son of Mary and brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? 
are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. So put all those names and lists together. Jesus had at least seven siblings, which means at minimum he was from a family of eight. Uh, I know there are some uh, groups that teach that Jesus was an only child. And, uh, Jesus was the only child Mary ever had, but that is not the case if you look at Scripture. Some people like to interpret uh, these very clear verses and say, well, they're speaking about spiritual brotherhood and spiritual sisterhood, not biological. It uh, doesn't, doesn't jive with me when you look at the context of those scriptures and what they're, they're saying. Hey, we know Jesus' family. We know his mother and his father. We know his brothers and sisters. Uh, that's very clearly what scripture is saying. So, yes, Jesus uh, did have siblings. Mary did have other children besides Jesus. Scripture is quite clear. I hope that helps you. All right. What's the purpose of angels? How are they different from the saints in heaven? All right. Uh, angels, we don't know all the purposes. They're created beings. God made them for uh, his pleasure, his service. Uh, we know they serve God. Uh, they praise God. They worship God, we're told in the scriptures. Uh, they fight spiritual warfare is one thing that angels do. We read about Michael fighting with uh, Satan. Uh, they execute his God's judgment sometimes. Uh, he sent angels to uh, fight uh, against armies and specific people and kill them. Uh, so they execute God's judgment sometime. And we're told in the New Testament that they minister to God's people. So they serve us, help us as God's people somehow. So that's the purpose of angels that we know from the Bible. And how are they different from saints in heaven? Well, they're completely different beings. Uh, they're angels and saints in heaven are humans uh, that have died and gone to heaven. We're different types of creation. And how different, we don't know. We'll figure that out when we get there. But we're different kinds of creation. All right, you got yep. time for a tattoo question. We can, we can get the tattoo question in. Uh, where are tattoos discussed in the Bible? Well, directly discussed in the Bible, uh, only one place. It's in the book of Leviticus. Let's look at those scriptures on the screen. Verses 19, uh, 20, verse 28 says, You shall not make any cuts on your body for the dead or tattoo yourselves. I am the Lord. Now, some people take that scripture and say, well, see, all scripture, all tattoos are scripturally forbidden. You shouldn't do it. And if you do it, uh, uh, you're part of something evil. Well, okay, look at verse 27. The verse right before it says, you shall not round off the hair on your temples or mar the edges of your beard. Okay, so if you've ever trimmed your beard, you're right in the same category as uh, anybody who's, who's uh, ever had a tattoo. Of course, we need to be intellectually honest and understand that this scripture on tattoos was directed toward the Levite priests. Uh, in that culture, there was uh, certain things that were just, com tab tattoos were taboo, okay? Um, in today's, under the New Covenant, there's no scripture uh, addressing tattoos, so we have to apply wisdom. We have to think about the message that we're sending. We have to think about our influence, our example. Uh, tattoo a Bible verse, I mean, I don't know. I guess that's not a problem, uh, but you need to think about it because whatever's on there is pretty much permanent. So uh, we need to think about our influence example and influence example and use great wisdom uh, as we think about that. Scripturally speaking, there's only one verse that talks about tattoos directly. All right. Let's get our trivia question answered today. So before we quit, uh, all Christians are priests. True or false? That's absolutely true. First Peter 2.9 says it directly. You can look that up 
First Peter 2, 9. Uh, we are a royal priesthood. All right, we thank you for being with us today and uh, studying the Bible with us. We're going to come back next week and try to answer as many more as we can. Uh, we hope we get to yours in the weeks ahead. And if not, uh, we'll get to it eventually. Glad you've been with us. Hope you have a great week. Know Your Bible has been presented by the Churches of Christ in your area. Churches of Christ are non-denominational, and each congregation is an independent group of Christians seeking to do God's will. Our goal is simple New Testament Christianity. We follow the Bible as our only guide. Contact us with any questions, and we encourage you to visit a Church of Christ near you.